is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Good afternoon to you on this public holiday, if you get it, that is. Michelle Stanley with you on the Country Hour today. Hey, when you go to the supermarket, do you pay any attention to organic produce? Are you happy to pay more for it? Or if you're an organic farmer, be it veggies, fruit, even beef, do you feel like your produce is fully appreciated by Australians? Because not everyone does. I think we don't fully appreciate in Australia because almost all the food we eat here is from, from Australia. We haven't had the scandals that other countries have had. We haven't been consuming beef and then found out it was horse. We haven't been giving our children baby formula and then found out that it had a you know, carcinogenic chemical in it. This half hour, you'll hear about some work, uh, some of the work being done to really take advantage of Australian organic produce, beef in particular, and promote it. You'll hear more about it before one o'clock. You'll also catch up with the Territory's Nuffield Scholar, Catherine Cattle Producer Munro Hardy. That's one of the biggest parts of Nuffield is is getting out of your comfort zone and and travelling and learning from others. And I suppose the idea is to be able to bring that knowledge home to, to our industry and share that with our peers. You'll get out of your comfort zone and hear more of what Munro Hardy has been learning in his time away. That coming up for you before half past one. Of course, if you'd like to get in touch this afternoon, 0487 991057 is the SMS. First up this afternoon, a volunteer firefighter in the Territory has been recognised in this year's Australia Day Honours. Bob Burgess is the captain of the Humpty Doo Volunteer Fire Brigade and he's been awarded an Australian Fire Service Medal. Bob, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you know um, who nominated you for, for this No, honor? I haven't got a clue, so I can't even thank anybody for it. So... Um, Eventually, I, I imagine I will probably find out, but uh, at the moment, no. When you got the call to say you you had received an Australia Day honour, what were your first thoughts? I don't think you can print that or, or put that on the air. Cause, um, <laughs> <laughs> I went, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I asked my vice captain who was the idiot that nominated me, but anyway. <laughs> You've had quite the history um, with the volunteer firefighting. Can you tell me, um, I guess, where it all began for you? Um, my wife dragged me down to Fred's Pass Reserve. Um, I'm an ex-army um, person and I suffer from PTSD and I needed to get out of the house. She dragged me down to join. She joined with me as support. And from then, I just just went on. It's it's like a um, a medicine to me in some ways, and and I can walk away if the stress is too much. I can walk away and never rest. So it uh, suits me down to the ground, and uh, helping the community, and it's just great. So, how long have you been volunteering with the fire service? Um, fifteen years. And yeah. you've you've enjoyed those fifteen years? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We had some good trips. We we've been away. Um, Doing burns, I went to Alice Springs, uh, I think, four times when the big fires in 2011, and it's just um, it's just a worthwhile thing. It's helping people, and it um, it's really good. Can you tell me some of the uh, more memorable experiences you've had in your 15 years volunteering with the fire service? Memorable or scary? <laughs> well, if scary is memorable to you. <laughs> no, actually, one of, one of the, the better ones was when we went down to Alice Springs. We... Um, we actually lived out on the stations. We travelled around with a tanker and, and GFUs, which is our grass fire units, and um, we lived on the stations in swags. The stations looked after us, and we really saw the Australian spirit come out that you don't see around local towns. Um, it was a great, um, great time just getting on with people that were down to down, down to earth bushies. <laughs> what was that Australian spirit like for you? Oh, great. It's what we used to be years ago. I mean, obviously, I'm 66, so I, I remember back when you, you could walk down the street and say g'day to someone and they wouldn't look at you as though you're going to stab them. Um, they looked after us. The wives would come out to the middle of the fire ground at 2 o'clock in the morning with coffee and sandwiches. Um, it was just a great down-to-earth time. You know? 
On the Country Hour, you're hearing from Bob Burgess, who's been uh, honoured on this Australia Day with an Australian Fire Service medal. Um, Bob, how has it changed in the last 15 years, your role in the, the Volunteer Fire Service? Good question. Um, we've become more acknowledged with, with the career firefighters and the community know we're out there. Um, we've got better assets. The the fire service does rely on us during during the fire season to, to support them, so our assets are the same as the career firefighters. So we get um, proper turnout gear, which years ago was just the basics. Um, get the training now. We make everyone's trained before they go out to a wildfire. Um, whereas when I first started, it was, can you drive a truck? Yeah, you're a tanker driver, go. Um, so, but now we give the training to people before we take them out onto a fire ground. So we we have, I, I guess, got better. When people are honoured with these kinds of medals, um, the media get given a heap of information about each person. And, and these notes that I've been given about you say that you've made a significant difference to protecting the community and raising the profile of volunteer firefighters. So some of those things that you say you've noticed as changes are things that people have noticed that you have helped to change. How do you feel when you I, I guess so. I mean, I, I've just continued a lot with, with the stuff and made sure we do stuff that we've done for years, like our Santa run of a Christmas time where we go out and give all the local kids um, a Christmas stocking and a, and a bottle of water with fire trucks with sirens going and all that sort of stuff, and, and the community love it. Um, I've seen kids that were probably 10 years old when I first started now come down with their kids, and it, it's great just to see it. Um, we get thanks, a lot of thanks from the local people. Would you like to see more people put their hand up and oh, volunteer? Oh, yeah, especially, especially people that live in the rural area. We've got a few now that live in um, even Palmerston, but we have got a thing where we've got to be able to turn out within 10 to 15 minutes, and it's difficult for those guys. They manage to do it, but um, local people with local knowledge would be great. Um, they will be able to meet the time, and um, they know the local community. So, yeah, we need local people. <laughs> you need it, but also I'm sure you get a lot from it yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said earlier, it, it's it's like medicine to me. And um, just to see, uh, I guess the thanks of people when you, you stop their houses going up in flames and things like that, it's it's really good. It just, um, I think, probably cleanses your soul in some ways. <laughs> Bit of a personal question, but how are you going with with battling, I suppose, the PTSD these days? Um I have my moments, obviously, um, and, and everybody does. It's something that even though they say they can cure it, it can't be cured. Uh, it's a matter of um, adjusting and, and, and living with it. And my wife is probably about the biggest support I've got, um, puts up with my little tantrums every now and then <laughs> and makes sure I'm okay. So, um, And like I say, the, the getting out and helping other people, doing stuff that um, it's beneficial to, to yourself, I think. Um, and it may not work for everyone, but it works for me. And you don't do these things to be nominated and to be awarded no. with, with Australia Day honours and an Australian Fire Service Medal, Bob Burgess. But and you also said you don't know who nominated you. No, but I don't. If you could have their ear, what would you say to them? Uh, you probably can't put that on the ear either. But then, <laughs> <laughs> no, I would obviously thank them for um, thinking of it and putting it in. Um, I guess it's like all people that um, get awards like this. It's the people that they work with and stuff like that that actually bring out that person's capability, I guess, to be able to help and, and try and get stuff for them. Um, and that's one of my aims was to, to get as much as I could for the volunteers that, that I work with. Um, you know, we've got the stuff we need to do the job now. Um yeah, I think it motivates you, I suppose, the people around you. And if, they don't, if they're not out there with you, then what's the use of doing the stuff? Well, thank you for the work that you do to keep the communities in, in around Humpty Doo and, and the top end safe uh, and more broadly by the looks of it as well. Yeah. But also thank you for your time on the Country Hour today. It's been really lovely catching up. It's all right. Not a problem. Love it. <laughs> Bob Burgess, he's the captain of the Humpty Doo Volunteer Fire Brigade. Having served for over 15 years, he's being recognised today with an Australian Fire Service Medal as part of the 2023 Australia Day Honours. It's 20 to 1 on the Country Hour. Do you buy organic produce, fruit, veggies, organic meat? You might not think too much about it. It is just another option on the shelf in Australia. We have so many, but Queensland's Darlene Ray 
doesn't take organic for granted. She's the managing director for OBE Beef, an organic beef export company, and has also been honoured today. Her honour is for significant service to the organic beef industry with a member of the Order of Australia. Delene Ray says we're lucky to live in a country with such clean and safe food, but says there's a long way to go for the industry. We're a little bit behind the rest of the world with regards to demand for organic products in, in other parts of the world where we have we, we don't have clean, green agricultural production. There are consumers that are looking for food that's clean and safe and organic certification guarantees that. Uh, in, I lived in Hong Kong for over six years and the food, all of the food is imported into Hong Kong and what I was looking for when I was a, a young mum there was food that was grown in certain places around the world that gave me confidence that it didn't have harmful chemicals or antibiotics in it. How hard was that? Well, I think... Um, I call myself an organic mum, which is me, which meant I'm a, a mother with young children, and I was making informed choices about the food that I was giving my children. And what I was looking to avoid was food from from certain countries. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I would rather pay more for food, guaranteeing it wasn't from somewhere. And that's what I I think we don't fully appreciate in Australia because almost all the food we eat here is from from Australia. We haven't had the scandals that other countries have had. We haven't been consuming beef and then found out it was horse. We haven't been giving our children baby formula and then found out that it had a, you know, carcinogenic chemical in it. So uh, I think as as um, leaders in agriculture, we need to ensure that continues in Australia. Uh, but as a net exporter, we also have to understand what consumers are wanting in the places that we export to. And there is an insatiable demand for certified organic product product around the world. That also tells me that Australia's got a brand that needs protecting. How are you influencing that as the chair of the Organic Industries of Australia? So we're a, a peak industry body that represents the interested in, interests of diverse stakeholders, and that's everything from farmers who are farming grain crops in WA to wine growers in near Canberra to the certifiers that are certified by, by the Australian government. What we're, we're, we're prosecuting for at the moment, I guess, is domestic regulation. So your listeners might not be aware that we have regulations which control the exports of organic product out of Australia and we need to, it's very rigorous and it's managed under the Export Control Act, but we don't have the same regulation domestically. What that means is someone can go into a butcher shop in, in Dagaminda or, or Roma and can... Uh, be sold organic beef and it may not necessarily be certified. And we're one of the few jurisdictions in the whole world where we don't have regulation for for, for organic uh, food production in Australia. And that's something that we spend a lot of time talking to government agencies about. It's complicated because we are state-based here in Australia and to bring about le domestic legislation, we have to have all the states and territories to agree. It also comes at a cost. Uh, and we're, we're talking to the federal government about bearing that cost. Do you think you're going to get some movement on that front? I think so. Um, we're, we're, we're building a strong business case because mm -hmm. we have markets like uh, America, China, Europe and South Korea that won't allow us to have equivalency without domestic regulation. What that means mm -hmm. is that farmers that produce organic beef or organic gra uh, grapes, if they want to export to um, Singapore, they can, they can do that easily. But if they want to export to a lucrative market like South Korea, they need to obtain South Korean organic certification. It, it's very onerous. It involves six monthly audits instead of annual audits. It's very expensive. Uh, and it's, in my opinion, unnecessary and it's only necessary because we, our diplomats haven't been able to negotiate equivalency because we don't have domestic regulation in Australia. So what the, what the um, Korean government's basically saying is we need you to have domestic regulation or we're not going to give you the equivalency that you're looking for. 
That's Delene Ray. She's the Managing Director of OBE Beef based in Queensland and working significantly in the organic beef sector. Today, being honoured for her service to the organic industry and professional organisations with a member of the Order of Australia. She was speaking there with Amy Phillips. It's quarter to one on the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. Here's John Williamson. It's called Cootamundra Wattle. John Williamson, Cootamundra Wattle. Hi, I'm Ben Hoffman, ant specialist from CSIRO. When I'm out and about collecting ants, I love listening to the ABC's Country Hour. It's 11 to 1 on the Country Hour. Good to have you along this afternoon. Former Federal Independent MP for Indi and farmer Cathy McGowan has been appointed the new chairperson of AgriFutures. The Research Development Corporation looks after 13 agricultural industries from buffalo, bees and pollination, rice and thoroughbred horses. Cathy McGowan says she hopes to address skills shortages in agriculture and encourage all students finishing school to consider further study in ag. She spoke with Annie Brown about her new role. I was very keen to to become the chair and absolutely delighted that the minister and the department um, have appointed me. So that's really good. And the reason why I really am keen to be doing this job for three years is that I believe agriculture is just so important for the future of Australia. And it's our rural communities that underpin the success of ag And I am really interested in how we continue to grow and support our rural communities. We get workforce that we need, we get the education we need, we get the health services we need, and then as well grow the jobs which come out of agriculture. And so I don't don't know if you you knew this, Annie, but 93% of Australian agriculture uh, produces 93% of all the food that's consumed in Australia. And then 70% of our agricultural product is exported. And that's worth $64 billion, you know, plus a year. So it's a really important industry. And I'm just, I've always loved it. I've grown up on a farm, worked in agriculture all my life. So I'm really keen now to be chair of this just wonderful future-directed research and development corporation. So, yeah, so AgriFutures is Research Development Corporation, but how would you describe to people what exactly it, it does mm. for farmers? So it's, it's, it's an excellent question. So there are, <clears throat> there are 15 research and development corporations. So they basically cover off the major agricultural industries, like people know about grains or dairy, <clears throat> excuse me, or MLA, which does meat and Australian wool innovation. So AgriFutures does the rural part of the research and development and it's also responsible for smaller uh, industries that don't have their own big R&D group. So, for example, um, AgriFutures looks after bees, uh, rice, pasture seeds um, and lots lots of others as well. So it works with the industry to set priorities, to help do the research and the extension, teaching people about it. But also it does new industries coming up. So if someone's got an interest, say, for example, in sesame seed, uh, AgriFutures would do the beginning work on how that industry would grow. So they're currently working on sesame seed, uh, seaweed, uh, native pastures, which is really important, truffles even. So they pick up new industries as they come through. And so... Evoke Ag is coming up in the next couple of weeks down in Adelaide. There's lots of talk always about technology emerging out of agriculture. What are some of the things that have caught your eye and got you excited about? Well, I, I've never been to Evoke Ag, I've been to see, so I'm really looking forward to going. But some of the other things that AgriFutures is doing is, are really important and I'll be putting my attention to this. It's the whole topic of how do we get enough people to come and be involved in all the different spaces of agriculture because, as you know, there's a huge shortage of, in the workforce. So I'm really keen that um, our best <laughs> our best and bravest and most innovative come and work in agriculture and that we actually do really good work with our workforce. So not only at school level, though of course that's important, but also at uni level, but also then getting the, the, the skills that we need because agriculture needs, like Evoke will show, it's, it's an opportunity for some of the most creative, exciting new technology to be applied to growing food and fibre. It's, 
it's the time of the year when students are just finishing off making their choices for what they're going to do next. So I would like to say to any parents or aunts and uncles who are listening today, if your young people in your life are undecided, can I suggest you send them in the direction of agriculture, to Wagga, to Melbourne, to CSU and or Armadale, to get them to do a degree in ag and it will open up so many opportunities for them uh, and give them just excitement and adventure or if they're researchers, opportunity to do amazing research. So we've just got a couple of weeks left before the university year gets underway or the TAFE year. So um, send your kids to ag is what I'd be saying. Kathy McGowan, she's the new chairperson for Agri Futures. We're speaking with Annie Brown. If it's a familiar name, she's a, a farmer, but also the former federal independent MP for Indi. Six to one on the country hour. Sticking with education, this year, 180,000 fee-free TAFE places are on offer in Australia as a result of a joint initiative between state and federal governments. The courses are targeted at industries with recognised skills shortages. Yeah, like agriculture. Lucy Cooper filed this report. Across the country, Australians will be able to access agriculture courses such as a Diploma of Agriculture, Certificate 2 in Wine Industry Operations, Certificate 3 in Brewing, Diploma of Conservation and Ecosystem Management and a Certificate 3 in Dairy Production for free in 2023. Describing the current labour climate as a workforce crisis, Queensland Farmers Federation CEO Joe Shepherd welcomes the inclusion of agriculture in the fee-free TAFE placements. Obviously ag is an essential industry for the broader community, um, so it's really important that we support farmers and the whole supply chain right across the sector throughout this workforce crisis. So um, obviously like many other industries, agriculture in Queensland is facing extreme workforce shortages and this is having a real impact on farm, on production capability. Um, We are aware of farmers who are significantly reducing or changing what they are planting this season or in some cases not planting at all because they're just not confident that they'll be able to source the workforce um, needed at harvest time to get the crop crop off. Um, So we're really pleased to see that agriculture has has been included. Where university doesn't quite fit your education mould, TAFE does offer qualifications for those wanting to pursue a career in agriculture, like Trinity Johnston. Miss Johnston studied a Certificate 3 in Rural Operations in Toowoomba last year. TAFE is honestly one of the best decisions I've made for myself, which is surprising. I didn't have any real expectations going in because, you know, expectations build disappointment and all that, but I I really love TAFE. Um, I was very sad to have finished it and have to leave, but it was really fun. It's the best learning experience I've had so far. TAFE Queensland teacher Vanessa Kane grew up on a property in Narrabri, northwest New South Wales. Now teaching agriculture and rural operations in Toowoomba, Miss Kane hopes fee-free courses will provide relevant skills to workers entering the industry. As a TAFE teacher, it is a requirement to be to have not only the qualification, but actually have industry experience. Um, And then it is a requirement um, to be a teacher to keep that industry um, placement and knowledge up to date uh, so that we are still up to date with trends um, and keeping current in the industry. Um, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for many people that are trying to uh, source a job. Um, And the most exciting thing about agriculture is The industry uh, is so vast in its job requirements and opportunities within the industry. It ranges from being on the ground working with animals um, through to tech, uh, the innovation that is coming through for improvements on um, production is is just fantastic. So it really is a a broad um, area. So basically with Anyone with any interest uh, can find a job in the agriculture sector. For those currently on the land, TAFE does offer recognition of prior learning to help get your qualification quicker. But QFF CEO Joe Shepherd says for the government's initiative to be successful in drawing new labour to agriculture, it has to reflect the industry's needs. So often uh, in agriculture, 
you know, training is needed in regional and sometimes very remote areas and sometimes this training is, um, you know, needed to be delivered to small groups of employees. Uh, the simple economics of delivering training where it's needed in ag sometimes doesn't stack up with the current delivery models, which are significantly focused on high volumes of students. Having now completed her TAFE qualifications, Trinity Johnston is now off to work her dream job on an outback station. I am going to Western Australia uh, in the Kimberley region, which is the farthest west you can go from me, to work on Napier Downs station. So I essentially just want to be like a station hand. I want to know everything there is to know because there's so much. And I'm very surprised that I got that job because it's a very big operation and the advertisement actually asked for experienced station hands and I'm not an experienced station hand like I have a knowledge base and like skills base but I'm definitely not experienced so I'm very lucky. That's former TAFE student Trinity Johnston finishing that report from Lucy Cooper. Nominations are now open for Farmer of the Year with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au. Proudly supported by the Condinen Group and ABC Rural. After the news, you'll hear about the ongoing struggle between farmers and red tape trying to get roads open after some of the recent flooding across Australia. We'll unpack that after the news. It's one o'clock. <laughs> Hello, this is ABC News. I'm Ali Crew. Thousands of people across the country are gathering at events to mark Australia Day. Natasha McFarlane reports. From ferry races to light shows and fireworks displays, each state and territory have begun their annual celebrations. In Sydney, art projections by Camilla Roy woman Rhonda Sampson have been displayed on the Opera House. Melbourne's Fed Square has been the hub for events. In Canberra, a community barbecue has been held at Lake Burley Griffin. Perth is taking a more modest approach, having scaled down usual fireworks displays. Reconciliation is the major theme of Adelaide's events, and Darwin opened with an early morning smoking ceremony. Meanwhile, Brisbane and Hobart will have live music and food. Canberrans taking part in an Invasion Day protest say Australians must change their thinking about the National Day. More than 800 people have taken part in the march from Civic to the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. They heard speeches from Ngunnawal people about the racism they still face today and the ongoing damage caused by colonisation. These protesters say it's a show of support for Indigenous people and a message to other Australians. The people have just got to change their thinking. They've got to be more educated on our history and our past and what's happened. The date, yeah, I think we should change it and put on another day. But yeah, the day is good. We with all our mob and we march for a good reason. Today is one of the days that we can unite and be supportive of full-on issues. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has appeared to knock back an offer from the Prime Minister to sit down and discuss practical issues and suggestions on the proposed Indigenous voice to Parliament. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has indicated his door is open to Mr Dutton and others who want to discuss the voice. He's also suggested both the opposition leader and shadow attorney-general could take part in referendum working group meetings. Mr Dutton says he has already made his questions and concerns public through an open letter to the PM. I've written to the Prime Minister asking 15 pretty basic questions on behalf of millions of Australians and uh, I, I want to understand what his response is because at the moment the Prime Minister doesn't understand or hasn't decided on the detail yet so how can Australians make a decision when they're not properly informed? A man charged after his mother went missing on the Gold Coast has been denied bail. Kirsten Webster reports. 61-year-old Wendy Sleeman disappeared from her Eleanora home on Tuesday afternoon. Her son, 30-year-old Slade Murdoch, has been charged with multiple offences, including unlawful stalking, burglary and kidnapping. He appeared in the Brisbane Magistrates Court today in a wheelchair where he was denied bail and is due to reappear in court tomorrow. 
His lawyer, Rodney Keat, wouldn't comment on whether he will contest the charges. There is a presumption of innocence. At this stage, I do believe that the case isn't that strong. An extensive police search for Ms Lehman continues. A nervous wait continues for the family of a West Australian woman detained in Japan who they say was part of a romance scam which tricked her into carrying drugs into the country. With more, here's Rebecca Trigger. Donna Nelson's daughters and former partner remain on edge as they wait for news from Japan. They believe Miss Nelson, an Aboriginal community leader, was arrested after arriving in Tokyo on January 3rd carrying a bag which contained drugs. They say she was asked to carry the bag by a person claiming to be an associate of the man she was due to meet. Her daughters say Miss Nelson is a generous woman who volunteers extensively in the community and would never have agreed to do anything illegal. A Pentagon press secretary says America's latest defence support package is part of an international effort to support Ukraine in its war against Russia. US President Joe Biden has announced Washington will send 31 M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. The announcement came just hours after Germany declared Berlin would deliver 14 Leopard 2 tanks to the country. Brigadier General Patrick S. Ryder says the international coordination is significant. What you're seeing here again is the fact that uh, since the beginning of Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, the international community coming together and working closely to try to find ways that we can uh, coordinate our efforts to best support Ukraine. The head of a school in the U.S. state of Virginia has lost his job after a six-year-old pupil there was shot and wounded. Sorry, a six-year-old pupil shot and wounded a teacher earlier this month. A lawyer for the wounded teacher says officials ignored multiple warnings that the boy had a gun. And you're now up to date with the latest from ABC News. Hi everyone, I'm Logan from uh, Blackpool Station at Douglas Daly. Yeah, we've a bit of a mixture of cattle and uh, hay production, 15,000 hectares. And um, you'll listen to the country here. Good afternoon to you. It's five past one. Michelle Stanley here with you this Thursday. This half hour, you'll catch up with the, the Territory's Nuffield scholar, Catherine cattle producer Munro Hardy. Well, it's it's really interesting because you go into Nuffield with something that you're quite passionate about and, and a problem that you want to solve. To the whole room, they said, look, you probably all started with a topic that you're passionate about and you want to solve, but don't get too hung up on it. Every cohort does the same thing and you might start here but you will zigzag all the way across the whiteboard and end up somewhere completely different. You will find out all about his zigzag, his scholarship and also where he's off to next. That coming up for you before half past one. Let's check in with the Bureau of Meteorology first. So Rebecca Patrick is with you this afternoon. Rebecca, the radar is pretty bright at the moment with a fair amount of rain. What have we seen in the last 24 hours? Yeah, a little bit out there at the moment. Uh, So in terms of rainfall to 9am this morning, um, the highest numbers were around the Gregory District with um, Bradshaw uh, came in with 74 millimetres and Camfield River with about 60. Um, So some reasonable totals through there um, and elsewhere um, generally more moderate um, across the top end, sort of getting up to about 40 millimetres in places. Um, But, yeah, so some reasonable totals across the north and we've also had some storms through central districts as well. Um, Since 9am, Barimba, again, um, in that same kind of area, uh, 23 millimetres, so in the Gregory District. Um, And, yeah, a few uh, lighter falls, but particularly we're seeing um, around the western top ends, um, seeing a fair bit of shower activity. Um, starting to get the odd storm just popping up this afternoon. Um, so, yeah, again, should be fairly widespread across the top end um, and through central districts as well, uh, with the yeah, chance of storms um, also across the south. What's going to come over the next few days into the weekend? Um, yeah, so I guess the main change is getting more shower and storm activity in the southern areas. So um, we're going to be seeing a lot of moisture brought across from Western Australia. So that low that we had a few days ago is um, moved out west, but it's going to be um, 
yeah, making the whole of northern Australia a little bit more moist with all that coming across. So central parts um, uh, expected to see some reasonable rainfall. Um, so should see fairly widespread 10 to 25 millimetres from the weekend onwards. Um, so that's daily totals, but could see some heavy falls with storms as well in the south. Um, and that'll bring temperatures down as well. Uh, across the north, um, probably more of the same for the next few days in, in terms of um, mainly mainly afternoon storms, but still seeing the odd shower about the coast um, here and there as well. And how about into next week? Is there any uh, monsoonal activity on the cards? Um, it is on the cards at this stage. It's looking like um, towards the end of next week we could be in for monsoon. It's um, still a little bit uncertain about how strong that might be and then and then leading on from that how much rainfall we'll get. Um, but, yeah, certainly looking like the setup um, is, is looking favourable for that later next week. Mm, we'll have to keep checking in on that. Uh, how about the coastal waters for anyone keen to drop a line over the weekend? How are they looking? Yeah, so on Darwin Harbour today, um, we've got fairly light winds. Um, they have switched around to east-northeasterly direction um, compared to what we have been seeing recently. Uh, so only about 10 knots and um, in the off the west coast we're seeing kind of northeast more northeasterly winds um, uh, in the Gulf of Carpentaria those winds are east to southeasterly getting up to about 10 to 15 knots. Excellent thank you for that Rebecca have a great afternoon. No worries. Thanks, Michelle. Rebecca Patrick from the Bureau of Meteorology with you this afternoon. It's 10 past one. January 26, the ABC gives you the best seats in the house for Australia Day Live to honour country and celebrate the Australian spirit. A fireworks and maritime show on the harbour with performances from some of our biggest stars. Casey Donovan, Dami Im, Christine Anu, William Barton, Isaiah Firebrace and lots more. Thank you so much. A concert for the country you won't want to miss. Australia Day Live from 7.30 tonight on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. The Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. After the massive floods we've been seeing across Australia, there are tens of thousands of kilometres of road that is likely to need repairing, likely to cost billions of dollars. And when that sort of damage occurs, farmers, pastoralists, freight companies, they're pretty restricted getting produce in and out. But in some areas, the questions now being asked, who's going to pay for the repairs that are needed. In New South Wales, farmers have put up their hand to fix regional roads themselves. David Clawton has this report. It's self-help on a very big scale. It takes big machines to make a road, but many landholders have the equipment and are used to maintaining the roads on their own properties. Now they want to fix the council's roads, but they can't get insurance and liability cover. The Vice President of the New South Wales Farmers Association, Rebecca Reardon, says it's a billion-dollar problem and the liability issue needs to be solved to find the people and equipment to do the massive job ahead. We don't believe the government is contributing enough funds. In fact, what they're contributing is a joke compared to the actual size of the task. But we've got to find the resources. And a lot of our members and farmers are saying, look, I need my local road graded, repaired, just so I can operate. Um, and they're offering the help, but they're getting caught up in red tape and saying, well, the government says, oh, no, you've got to go to local council, and local council doesn't want to touch it. There's a whole liability issue. And so the red tape is just um, a disaster for being able to get on and actually get the job done when all our farmers want is a decent road they can get in and out of town on and get their produce in and out of. Braidwood farmer Peter Jansen is one of those landholders who's offered to help his council repair the roads around his farm. His property was badly burnt in the Black Summer fire, so he was trying to get things back up and running when his access was cut off by recent floods. He had approval from council to repair sections of the council-managed access road himself, but he couldn't get an answer about who would cover insurance and liability. We've got quite a bit of equipment here. I've got a backhoe and a, and a 15-tonne excavator and we've got tractors and all sorts of things. Um, my neighbours have recently got a, a new $100,000 tractor with a, a greater blade on it 
and our, our internal farm roads are probably twice as good as the current access roads that are owned by council. But the problem is, again, they keep putting impediments in the way. Uh, you know, council have said to us, well, you can fix the roads, but you're not to touch this part and this part and that part. And essentially the parts that they exclude are the parts that really need doing first and foremost. And that's probably one of our greatest issues at the moment is getting vehicles across that creek crossing. It's so they weren't going to pay you to do any of that work, were they? No, no. And we didn't, hadn't discussed money. They were not going to pay us. But you um, wanted to have some cover for liability if your equipment got damaged or someone got hurt, well, is that right? Well, we, we wanted to know our position more than anything else. Um, and they flatly refused in their letters to us saying that they would not comment. So what was the outcome? Did the road get repaired? No, it's still diabolical. The Local Government Association of New South Wales puts the total repair bill for regional roads at $2.5 billion, based on figures from the NRMA. President Daria Turley lives in Broken Hill, and she thinks the self-help model is needed because there just aren't enough council staff or contractors to get the massive job done. She wants the New South Wales Roads Minister to approve a trial, and she thinks farmers would do a good job. A lot of farmers do have their own certifications to do that. I know quite a few farmers who do. And that self-repair of roads does seem like the common sense approach. But, you know, that we are hamstrung by those liability and standards that councils have to uh, maintain. And the liability issue, um, I know there's one council, and uh, I think it's Canample Council, had put a proposal to the government around that. They had farmers on board. They thought it was viable supervision and the government had said the liability risk is too great. And yet sometimes we put staff onto equipment that haven't been there for years, you know. So I, I wonder, you know, if the government could try that. But would the farmer be liable or would the council be liable and if the government approved it, would they be liable? With 10,000 kilometres of roads to be repaired and farmers all over the state struggling to get equipment, grains, livestock and people on and off farms, this issue isn't going away anytime soon. David Corton with that report. Looking at the cost and who is able to repair regional roads in New South Wales in particular, farmers are putting up their hands to get the work done. But questions remain over liability, which makes it a little bit more complicated. 16 past one on the Country Hour. Here's Troy Cassidaly. It's Bow River. That's Troy Cassidaly with his take on Bow River. It's 20 past one. I'm Kimberly Fawcett. I'm just down here at Tortilla Flats putting some buffalo through the yards and you're listening to Country Hour. Let's meet one of the Territory's current Nuffield scholars now, Munro Hardy. Over the past 15 years, Munro's worked throughout the supply chain. He's been a ringer on cattle stations, a chopper pilot, a stockhand on live export boats and more recently worked for an ag tech company. Since taking on the Nuffield Farming Scholarship, he's been looking at how the northern beef industry can leverage data to be more efficient. Max Rowley caught up with him to see what he's learned along the way. When I applied, they asked for a topic that I was interested in studying. And um, for me, I, I spent about 13 years in the Territory before I went down to Sydney for a position with a tech company um, to explore technology options and, and what might fit in the Territory. So I got a strong interest in that. And I've found through that experience that a lot of producers are quite overwhelmed with the technology options available to them. No one really knows how to navigate that and what fits in our production system, what to use. And so for my Nuffield scholarship, I thought I'd explore that area. So I want to look at how we can leverage data better through our beef supply chain in the north. And, you know, you're you're a year through that scholarship now. Um, Take me through what you've been up to over the past year and what you've been learning. Yeah, well, I guess after the um, interview process for Nuffield and being accepted, we were then invited to the UK for the, or what they call the Contemporary Scholars Conference, which is where all the scholars from the current year get together and meet the rest of the scholars from around the world. So we had scholars from 15 different countries, I think. We had a week of travel 
just as the Aussie scholars. So I think we had 26 of us on a bus traveling around Somerset um, and the southwest of, of England, um, looking at different farms and, and different things throughout the industry. So, you know, diverse operations who were growing beef cattle, dairy cattle, pigs, sheep, and cereal crops, uh, chooks, and even biodigesters on one property in one operation that was one producer who was that diverse in what he was doing so we got to look at some really interesting operations um, a lot of stories from that but then the following week we moved into more of a professional development and leadership development uh, style of conference we had a number of speakers from around the world come and talk with us um, from industry leaders in, in different parts of the industry uh, and then the third week, we sort of had to ourselves and travelled the UK on our own and, and got to go and visit people who we were really interested in meeting and seeing their operations. And, and that's a key part of the Nuffield Scholarship, the ability to travel and to, to you know, learn from others in different parts of the world. Where have been some of the places you've travelled and chosen to travel to? Absolutely, yep. That's one of the biggest parts of Nuffield is, is getting out of your comfort zone and, and travelling and learning from others. Um, and I suppose the idea is to be able to bring that knowledge home to, to our industry and share that with our peers. Um, but I, I had an opportunity in October to head over to Zimbabwe, which was just magnificent. It was not a standard planned Nuffield trip. It was quite an ad hoc one that was organised by the Zimbabwe Nuffield crew. And so there were around 20 of us that travelled over there, guys from all over and from all walks of life. We had microbiologists, beekeepers... Um, beef producers, sheep producers, vets. So it was it was really good to get that contrast in opinion. So everywhere we went, we had a real variety of questions, and a lot of the time they were things that I wouldn't have thought to ask because everyone comes with a different lens. So really interesting to travel as a group, and I think you get a lot more out of it. Um, so yeah, that was that was three weeks right across Zimbabwe. And what kind of producers or what kind of farming were you seeing in in Zimbabwe? Uh, a lot of different things. We started off um, at the Alan Savory Institute for three days. Um, so I looked into the concepts of, of regen ag and, and what they were doing over there, which was really, really interesting. Um, Alan Savory is really well known across the world, of course. Uh, and, and to see how they can run it in their situation, they've got a huge labour force. So I think applying those principles in our systems has a lot of merit, but to do it to the extent that they do, I think, is a lot more challenging for us as, you know, we might have bigger herds with a lot less labour um, and expenses are quite high for us compared to them. So, you know, you always pull away a few gold nuggets from everywhere you go. Um, but we visited national parks and safari uh, lodges and then we sort of got more into industry. We saw distribution hubs and logistics hubs um, at the airport. So we saw where local Zimbabwean produce would come to to get distributed across the globe they export a lot of their produce from from zim um so that was interesting to see these warehouses full of strawberries and blueberries and and all sorts of different products uh and then from there we went on to farm for the things that we sort of saw in that distribution hub and that topic that you you started with at the beginning of your Nuffield scholarship has that changed over the past year or have you you know what reflections have you had on, on that and where you'd like to head now well it's it's really interesting because you go into Nuffield with something that you're quite passionate about and and a problem that you want to solve when when you do start on that that journey I guess and at that at the uh, the contemporary scholars conference one of the first things they said was to the whole room they said look you probably all started with a topic that you're passionate about and you want to solve but don't get too hung up on it they say every every cohort does the same thing and you might start here but you will zigzag all the way across the whiteboard and end up somewhere completely different so be flexible in, in what you want to do but for me I, I think it's still there it's still around data and how we can leverage that best um, because I think that's a big challenge for us here in the north but yeah, it's, I think it's just cemented a lot of things for me in, in the challenges we do face and, and how we go about solving them. In what sense? What are, what are some of those things? Well, I think a constant issue. I mean, at the LiveX conference, there were a lot of people talking um, about ESG um, and social licence to go with that. ESG, environmental, social, governments. Governments, yeah. Um, and, and Gary Edwards got up and spoke about social licence and how AAMIG had are trying to solve for that and trying to improve that and they're being more transparent in their operations and throughout their supply chain. And I think that's something that we can do as an industry. Um, we don't have to wait for the, the corporates to do that. I think we can all do our part 
to to change that so an example like well i'm using quite a few different technologies here but if i can show transparency in my production and, and how i'm running my cattle here and um, using best practice in rotating paddocks and spelling pastures and and trying to let this country regenerate and, and grow pastures um, you know that's one example of how we can be a bit more transparent with that um, it might be time to turn off it might be animal health any of those sorts of things i think we can we can leverage to tell our story better as producers and you've still got some travel left as part of the scholarship. Uh, where are you thinking? Where, where are you going to shoot off to next? Yeah, well, I've got quite a bit of travel to do yet. We've got uh, the Global Focus Program coming up next, which is um, coordinated travel again, which is which is organised through Nuffield, um, and we travel as a group again. So, you know, maybe around 20 people again as a group, but uh, it's six weeks of travel between a number of different countries uh, I think on mine, I've, I'm looking at Mexico, Japan, Italy, Spain, and a few others along the way. Uh, and then I've got another few weeks of my own travel, so you can do up to another another six weeks. And, yeah, there's a lot of places I'd love to go. I'd love to get back to, to Scotland, uh, even over to Sweden and Germany uh, to look at a few industries over there. What's the, the draw for those places? Uh, there's a few carbon markets that are, are private carbon markets that I'm really interested in I think here in the territory if we're looking at, at more development um, how are we going to make the most of what we got here um, and respect I think the cycle of our vegetation of of our savannah if you know if we're developing that rather than just burning and wasting how can we potentially leverage that and and there's markets for that across the world now and and Sweden are leaders in that so that's one one area but then also financial markets, I'd like to approach and explore how we can leverage our data here and, and sort of tell our story so that we can access capital better. What sort of data do we need? What's going to improve that process? And then, of course, there'll just be a few beef producers that I'd like to call in across the world and, and go and look at uh, best practice, I think, along the way. Nuffield scholar Munro Hardy catching up with Max Rowley. That is it for the Country Hour this Thursday public holiday. I hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon, whatever you choose to do with it. I'll catch you tomorrow from half past 12. It's 1.30.